0: Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast, followed by a reflection. John Henry Newman, Apostle to the Doubtful, by Mariel Trevor and Leonie Caldecott, The Early Years Continued, A Man of the Nineteenth Century. Born on February 21st, 1801, John Henry Newman lived through the turbulent 19th century when Europe, while expanding its colonial empires in Asia, Africa, and Australasia, was struggling at home with wars and revolutions, political and mental. Darwin, Marx, and Freud were three men of the 19th century whose ideas shaped the course of events all through the 20th and all in the direction of atheism, disbelief in any creating spirit beyond the world of sense. Newman's influence may seem weak in comparison with theirs, but it is like the yeast in Christ's similitude, slowly leavening the lump of human dough and still active a hundred years after his death. People unfamiliar with his life and work may wonder why. John Henry Newman saw the Christian Church as a historical fact, its ideas and practice in continual but consistent development. This historical way of looking at the Church's ideas was quite new when Newman wrote his essay on the development of Christian doctrine in 1845, nearly 15 years before Darwin published The Origin of Species, 1859. Introducing the theory of biological evolution, which shook people's confidence in the truth of the Bible even more than had the Copernican revolution in the 16th century. From this historical base, Newman was able to build a defense of the truth of Christian tradition, which could meet the scientific skepticism that was spreading among educated people in the second half of the 19th century and in our own time, has affected almost everybody. Newman, who once wrote in a letter that he could go the whole hog with Darwin without disturbing the foundations of faith, realized that the rationalizing methods of inquiry would attack the credibility of the Bible as the infallible vehicle of God's revelation to mankind. He perceived that it was the church which mediated the revelation in Christ and had done so since the risen Lord had commissioned the apostles and after his ascension sent the Holy Spirit to unite them in one body, Guide them into all truth till the end of time. It was in studying the early fathers of the church that Newman realized how theological ideas had developed over the centuries, like a tree growing from a seed. That seed was Christ, the Word of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angels of God our guardians, dear, to whom God's love commits us here. Ever this day be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, gentle guide of youth, patron of thy own, vessel of the Holy Ghost. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What were Newman's great questions that he asked? Well, two of the central questions for Newman were these. How can we believe what we cannot understand? And how can we believe what we cannot prove? How can we believe what we do not fully understand? See, St. John Henry Newman knew and understood that faith was an unconditional assent, an absolute acceptance of a truth. And how can we fully accept something that we cannot understand, or fully understand? How can we accept something as absolutely true that seems to be beyond our our own mental abilities to understand? And then how can we believe, again, an unconditional, absolute acceptance of some truth, of some fact, of some person, which we cannot fully prove in terms of the evidence, in terms of the argumentation. And Newman, in answering these two questions, was really trying to harmonize the way faith and reason interact. See, those are questions of faith and reason. Reason is what understands. Faith is what believes. Reason is what proves. And faith is what accepts. And so Newman's intense desire was to understand anew the relationship between faith and reason. And he understood that reason, in its arguing, in its thinking, about Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ taught and about the church could get you to the point where you could say, I would be a fool not to believe this. I would be a fool not to believe it. But still, there would be some kind of gap between the evidence, which would be probable, and our faith that Jesus, for example, rose from the dead, which we're absolutely certain that he did that. And how can the mind do this? How can the mind reach certainty when the reasoning leading to it is only probable? And in Newman's day, people would use this fact, the fact that the reasoning about religion is not certain but probable, to argue that Christianity and Christian faith was actually harmful to people. Because if the church demands that people give an absolute acceptance to something that their minds, their reasons can't know for certain on its evidence, it seems to do violence to what we are, it seems to go contrary to what we are, it seems to be bad for us, unhealthy. So it goes, and Newman felt this problem very deeply. And one of his answers to it was that, in point of fact, we do this all the time. Human beings have an ability to recognize where the evidence is going. His famous example is Great Britain is an island. All the evidence that Great Britain is an island navigation, from literature, from maps, from testimonies, from folklore, from the history of wars, all presuppose that Great Britain is an island. Even people who have tried to go around it on a boat may have missed a spot. Maybe the water was high that day, maybe it's not actually maybe it's a peninsula. But Newman says you would be a fool because the evidence is only probable, highly probable, to not accept this. Because the mind has an ability to see where everything is going. There's a kind of converging of probabilities. Individually, the evidence is probable. Each piece of it is probable. But what we can't explain what the mind recognizes is they all are coming together. They're converging, pointing in a certain direction. And therefore, it can't not be the case. And so reason can lead us to that point. But there's still a kind of gap. There's still a little room that we're not compelled to believe. We have to choose to believe. Helped by the grace of God. Faith and reason. And therefore, Newman was also very, very concerned about the relationship with faith and reason insofar as science, so-called, Was arguing that there was no evidence, especially historical science, no evidence for the later formulations of Christian doctrine above all the Trinity. And so Newman thought very deeply about how the Christian formulation of the Trinitarian truths came about. He thought very deeply. About how the mind is able to give a full acceptance to the Trinitarian truth when it's a great mystery. And part of what Newman understood is this that the individual propositions of the Trinitarian truth he thought were basically nine. And each of those individual truths, the mind is able to form an image in your imagination, for example, of God as the moral governor of the universe. And you can say the Father is God, and you can give an absolute assent to that. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God, the Father, is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But there are not three gods, but one God. These basic truths that make up the Trinitarian mystery are, are all themselves truths that we can accept. that God exists. That the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. These are acts of religion. But what the mind can't fully understand is how all of those go together. And yet the mind is able to accept them because of the testimony of the church. And the church is a historical fact for Newman. The church is the oracle of truth. The church is the mediator of Christ's revelation. And so the basic question that we all have to answer is this. Who is Jesus? And did he leave a church? And how could Jesus' revelation come down to us unless he established the church? And how could that church be entrusted with the message unless she had the grace to propose it to us infallibly? And as we're beginning this book, this might seem all very, very complicated. It might seem very, very mysterious. Why? We're stressing all of this. But the authors of this book have a very profound point to make, that Newman's thought, his thought about the harmony of faith and reason, and all the ramifications that he recognized, which I'm briefly laying out here, some of them, those are like 11. They're like 11 in the life of the church. And Newman's importance and Newman's thought about the development of doctrine, about the problem of faith and reason, about the relationship between the church and the scriptures, the church and our own faith. All of these things are only going to become more and more important in the life of the church. Newman's day is not over. It's continuing to expand. It's continuing to grow. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like leaven which a woman took and put in three measures of grain until the whole is leavened. That leaven is very small, it seems. That leaven seems very unimportant, but gradually, over time, it leavens the whole. In our own lives, we need to remember that Newman's thought was primarily to defend the simple faith of the believer against the rationalism of his day. And rationalism means that only what reason, human reason, can prove is true. Human reason itself is the measure of everything. That's what rationalism is. Ratio, reason in Latin. And Newman did all he could to undermine, to fight all these kinds of rationalism, all these forms of human thought that don't leave room for faith. Because faith is the gift of God faith is our means of salvation and don't let anyone tell you that Newman is too complicated that Newman is too deep he is these things but he's at the service of something very very basic and we give thanks for his thought as we begin this little biography and we ask him to intercede for us that we will be strong in faith. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will give flight. Be strong in faith. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.